Are you engaged as an employer? Do you have your head in the game? Are you immersed in your company culture? Do you care how your company's leadership style is perceived by your employees? Regardless of your answer, the job matching and recruiting site Glassdoor may have some information you may find helpful. The site recently conducted a survey which found that 77% of job applicants would consider a company's work culture before applying for a job. The site also says that American millennials would care more about work culture by a margin of 65% than those 45 and older by a mark of 52%. Kelly Mirbot is an executive and leadership coach who's on a mission to help corporations and individuals thrive, awaken their human spirit, and provide them with a sense of belonging. She joined me this week to have an in-depth discussion about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she even chimed in and provided her thoughts on how a successful company culture is a win-win for everyone. I know I'm excited to have this robust and important conversation so without further delay, I'm Kevin McShan. Let's have this conversation. Welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to be with you uh, to, to talk about uh, corporate culture and how you help executives succeed. Great to be with you this morning, and thanks so very much for being here. Oh, it's great to be here, Kevin. Thank you so much. I hope I can help. Uh, absolutely. You know, I've been looking forward to uh, starting this conversation because I know you work very hard to help executives sort of thrive and find their human spirit. So I'm wondering uh, if you can tell me all about the great work that you do. Yeah. So basically what I do is I turn up the volume on what's magnificent about humans and their leadership. And I point out what is noise and distraction that could pull away from that. And I help them belong to themselves, meaning no matter how you manifest in life, whether you're black, white, Asian, Latinx, Hispanic, you name it, you know, you belong to yourself in your own skin. And from that place of wholeness and healing, you create a place of belonging wherever you go. So that, that's basically what I do. I don't tell people what to do. I don't judge them. I don't criticize them. I just share information so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. 
Uh, could you dive a little bit deeper into that guiding process for me? What, what sort of uh, triggers do you look for in terms of helping people sort, sort of guide them on the pathway that they believe that they want to thrive on? Is there sort of, sort of uh, uh, triggers that you look for to help people in that regard? I wouldn't say triggers. I would say I listen for language and um, what's underneath that language. What are they saying? What are they not saying? And then I watch nonverbal communication because, you know, all of communication, 90% of it is nonverbal. So, you know, if somebody's saying one thing and then their body is saying the opposite, then I'll slow them down and, and ask deeper questions about that. So, for instance, I had a client that was um, very much in the victim mindset, meaning he was blaming everybody else for the problems in the organization. And as he was using that language in our, um, in our conversations, like it's hypothetically, it's your fault, Kevin, it's your fault, Kelly, then I slow them down, I interrupt that thought pattern and get them to consider something else. Like, if you shifted your mindset and you understand that the only thing that we can control is ourselves, how would you change to get different results? You know, and then I walk them through that and offer suggestions and, you know, offer stories from other clients because, you know, as creatures of, you know, tribal creatures from way back, storytelling is a really big, um, powerful key in our learning and development. So I try to implement that as much as possible. And, help lead them to the answers themselves. Uh, very cool. And can you tell me about your, your perspective on how do you think we build a positive corp corporate cultures and build leaders that want to sort of pay it forward and leave a generation of experience and impact? How do you think we uh, de develop effective leaders in your opinion? Well, I, I think first it takes analysis of the organization. Where are we right now? And the first thing I like to say is who are we not including? Whose voices are we not including? Um, and then all, you know, bring those voices in, whether it's, you know, people with disabilities or accessibility issues or indigenous people, are we not including their voices? Once those are brought in, I think we formulate a task force. And from that task force, look at everything from recruitment to um, compensation, to um, employee handbooks, to how do we behave, to organizational structures, to employee resource groups. It's not, um, it's not a, a situation where you can throw up a diversity, equity, inclusion training and just call it a day. This is an ongoing process that needs to be evaluated all along. And then once you create that culture, then we look for characteristics of those kinds of leaders that you were just discussing. So what's a common characteristic that a great impactful, inclusive um, <clears throat> leader has and then we look we recruit for that because you can you can teach skill you can't teach character so you you look for the people with those kinds of characteristics first and then if they have the skill sets that you're looking for well that's just a bonus 
right? So that that's the way you build the culture, but you constantly ask who's not being represented, whose voices aren't at the table, bring them to the table. And that that's how you build that culture of impact. Because I'll tell you what, um, when you have a homogenous voice or homogenous kind of culture, you're missing out. You're missing out on great brain power, on great views of life, because we don't see life as it is. We see it as we are, right? And so if you're missing out on those lenses that people look through life, then not only are you missing out on great mental real estate, but you're missing out on profit to the bottom line. You know, if you want to talk dollars and cents, I mean, there's 30% more profit is put to the bottom line if your corporate culture is more inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kelly, I was uh, born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. It just means that I, I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. And I, part of my background is that I help individuals with disabilities find employment. So, uh, and I'm not sure if you knew this, but uh, we just finished uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And, yeah, I did know that. Yeah, since we uh, just finished the month, I'm, I'm curious about your, your uh, perspective on the importance of the month and what it uh, signifies. You know, I think it goes back to who are we including? And one of the things that I know about the population of adults with disabilities, which is enough to be dangerous, Kevin, like I'm still kind of digging into it and trying to understand, but here's what I know. It's the largest, most diverse population that crosses all, you know, gender, race, all of that. So what is the meaning of the month? I think um, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with these months. And here's what I mean by that. While I love honoring these different populations, to me, we shouldn't just need a month. It should be happening all year long every year, all the time. Like we shouldn't just spotlight it that one month. It should be inclusive all the time. However, um, to be able to spotlight an, or a culture that is rich and diverse and, um, you know, some of the most loving, amazing people that I've ever met in my life, I mean, to me, hats off. But again, I, I don't think it should just be allocated to a month. Absolutely. I think it's a, a continuous discussion that we all have to have in order for uh, a, a true diverse workforce to be accomplished. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I also know that you work with our military to make sure that they have uh, a chance to sort of heal from uh, underlying trauma. Um, so I'm also curious to ask you about that and, and, and helping our service men and women sort of recalibrate and, and focus on what they need to be uh, successful when they come home in terms of their mental and emotional health as well. Ah, oh, Kevin, what a rich question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, our service members are often forgotten, you know, they're heroes, but they're unsung heroes. So to be able to serve and support that population to me is, is a true honor. And it's uh, one of the highlights of my career. But um, when the contract was brought to me, it was brought under the guise of, um, we need to help our 
active duty service members with um, empathy and emotional well-being. Um, and really the time I spend with them is helping them learn about um, using their emotions as a guidance system, that it's an asset, not a liability. And that's really counter to how they're trained because when you're going into combat or war situations, you know, you don't want somebody who's going to be crying in the middle of a battlefield, which I don't advocate for. Um, I advocate for if you experience something horrific that causes you trauma in that situation, that you use all the resources at your fingertips to, um, to heal that, because otherwise it's going to become misplaced and show up in other forms. Um, so, you know, I help them use their bodies to heal trauma. I help them um, reframe things. I help them understand that their trauma could be a bridge to belonging with somebody else and just help them look at it from a different perspective. And um, I, I'm happy to say that as of right now, I've worked with over 200 high-ranking officers in the military individually coaching them over the past two years. And uh, they are incredible humans that, that need our help, really. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I basically help them use their, like I said, their emotions as a guidance system and understand that empathy is an asset and a, a key vertical to leadership and great leadership. Absolutely. And I want to thank you for the work you do in that regard. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, in terms of the, uh, personal impact that works specifically in helping our military members. Well, what sort of a personal impact has that had on you? Oh, goodness. Well, my husband is um, a 20-year veteran of the United States Navy. So anytime somebody signs in um, to Zoom to work with me, it's, it's almost like I'm able to give him back what he didn't have which was um, a lot of support when he was in the military. There were not a lot of, um, I mean, emotional intelligence and empathy was not something we talked about. Um, but the personal impact for me um, is really gratitude and appreciation for all of the wonderful things that our military does for us. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a misidentification that we believe that they only do things in wartime because they're doing humanitarian missions and they were working on the vaccine before Pfizer and Moderna even were. They um, do technological innovations. They're exploring, you know, things that we don't, we're not even aware of. I mean, it, they do so much um, dip, diplomatic relations that we don't talk about. We only focus on you know, wartime efforts, which is just simply not true. And um, I think what it's done for me, like I said, Kevin, is is really um, given me a deep sense of gratitude and appreciation for them and for the freedoms that we are allotted in our country. You know, I think um, a lot of times the narrative is what's wrong with it, what's wrong with our country. And listen, it's not perfect. And I'm, I'm glad we have the rights to criticize our government. I think that's part of the beauty of democracy. But at the same time, I think we really need to realize how good we have it in this country and the privileges that we have. And I think those are taken advantage of. So really going back to your question, it's, it's about 
appreciation and gratitude to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, they're they're often asked to wear many hats, and when they come back home for their service, we have to make sure that they're fully capable to address whatever traumas that they have, and then put them on the road to success. So again, I want uh, I appreciate the work you do in that regard, and I'm 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 curious to also ask you. I know that you use holistic properties to sort of unlock the internal blockage for your clients so that they can uh, discover their creativity and inspiration. So I'm, I'm wondering uh, the feeling uh, that you see in your clients and that you get personally once they sort of discover their aha moments. Oh, what a great question. So. It's different for everybody, but I think the common um, feeling that most people feel is freedom, uh, liberation, and um, almost like an internal giggle, you know, like those little giggles we used to have when we were kids, that full body giggle. I think that's really a lot of what it feels like, Um, joy, groundedness, clarity, all of those things come with it, but you know, it manifests differently in everybody. Some, some people may feel energized. Some people may feel calmer and at peace, you know, it really just, just depends. But I think the common thread is really joy, freedom, and that full body giggle that I was just describing. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you also tell me that you're on a mission to bring back the soul of corporations so that, that corporations also can identify themselves on a more human level. So I'm wondering how that mission is going. I know you've been at it for about 13 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's going slowly. I mean, anybody who works in corporate knows that it's, um, it's a slow process. Um, you know, these are big organizations that are hard to turn often, but I try to go in and fight the good fight and model the way that I believe that great leaders and, you know, dare I say, iconic leaders could really change the way um, corporations are. And for so long, these big corporates, whether it was Facebook or Comcast or Wells Fargo or um, other corporations that are, you know, basically neighbors in our neighborhoods, um, instead of being takers, they really need to be stewards of their space. And I think there's a lot of room for improvement, Um, i.e., let's see, right after George Floyd was murdered, every corporation in America put up a black box in in stance with Black Lives Matter. Yet here we are a year later and they're still dragging their feet on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. You know, you can't say one thing public facing and then do something else behind the scenes that's out of alignment. So I think, you know, it's, I knew it was going to be a slow road. I mean, I may not see it in my lifetime. I'm 45, but I'm still going to keep trying and keep talking and keep raising the, the dialogue and make sure the discourse is still there. Um, but, you know, I'm one person. So hopefully this conversation will inspire other people internally, maybe, and externally to, you um, 
to change. But I'll tell you, I think a side effect and a symptom of um, the subpar corporate cultures is the great resignation that we're seeing right now. You know, people are just tired. They're tired of being treated terribly. They're tired of um, wearing their 80 plus hour work weeks as a badge of honor. They know that life, there's more to life because the pandemic showed them that. Um, and I, I think corporations really need to take a hard look and make a change to adapt to the people that are working with them rather than making the other, the, the other way around, making the, their employees assimilate to their culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kelly, I always strive to the theory that you work uh, to live, you don't live to work. So I, I, I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on, on how corporations can uh, help their uh, employers live a more balanced work to life balance. Um, so, I mean, I always think it starts with conversation and dialogue. Um, I think being transparent as possible up into the point of liability. And what do I mean by that? Um, to tell your people everything that's going on in your organization. Now, if you're a healthcare organization, obviously you cannot violate HIPAA. If you're in the middle of a merger with another corporation, there are certain NDAs that you can't violate, but you can say to your people, listen, we're in the middle of a merger. This is what we expect to happen. We'll keep you posted and, and almost over-communicate. So to your question about helping um, your people um, have a better work-life balance, talk to them, talk to them. If you notice somebody getting burnt out and you will notice it, it's very easy to, to spot irritability, short-temperedness, um, just kind of a, a lack of joy with their, with their work. Mm -hmm ask them what's going on and how you can best support them in that moment. And they will tell you, they will tell you. I will also say that if you have people that prefer to work from home because they're introverted and they just, it takes too much out of them to be at, home, at work, accommodate them. We, we can, we've seen, and in fact, um, the Society of Human Resource Management just put out a statistic that people um, during the pandemic worked 48 minutes more than they did prior. So people are working at home. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not accomplishing it. And if the work product is there, I wouldn't mess with it. Um, so I would say, talk to them first and work on a plan, co-create a plan that's gonna help, you know, preserve their mental, emotional, physical well-being. Because if you do that, you're going to create a loyalty and an emotional connection that's going to keep them at your workspace longer than, you know, just ignoring it and making it go away or they'll resign. I mean, the biggest thing that people are doing is resigning and starting their own thing, you know, and, and they're saying in four to five years, the gig economy is going to be 40 to 60% of this country's revenue. What does that tell you? That tells you that corporate America is on the decline because people are just tired of the behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. And Kelly, I've got a few more questions for you. The first, you know, I'm going to share a stat with you and a bit of information. I, you know, I used to uh, serve as the ambassador for something in Ontario called the Discoverability Network, which was, uh, it's our province's new online job matching 
portal for folks with disabilities and employers to get connected. And you know, we did a study at the Ontario Chamber of Commerce when I worked there, and it found that 77% uh, of small and medium-sized businesses uh, wanted to hire people with disabilities, but they didn't know where to find them. So that's why the network was created in part in the first place. And we also found that 80% of accommodations uh, cost less than $500 when they do have to be made for uh, people with disabilities. And then 80% of uh, accommodations don't have to, to be made at all. So I'm, I'm curious to get your per perspective on how uh, workplaces can better accommodate uh, folks with disabilities in order for them to be uh, successful. Well, I think I think it goes back to what I was saying before, Kevin. And I mean, thank you for those stats because I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I'm not surprised though. I mean, I have these conversations with my female colleagues, my colleagues my, of color and, you know, corporations always say we can't find them. Well, my response is you're looking in the wrong place. Like if I was the head of a corporation or a small business and I wanted to accommodate, you know, attract people with more disabilities, first person I would call would be you. Kevin, where do I go? Who do I talk to? I would talk to my, the co one of the coaches in my cohort, Trisha Robichaud, who has MS and works with corporations to help them accommodate adults with disabilities. I would have those conversations. I would find out who the thought leaders are in the industry. I would find out where the resources are. And then I would follow what these experts are saying. This is, I mean, you live this. So I would say to you, okay, how can we accommodate you more? What do you need more of? What's working in this organization? What's not working? What's next? What do you need to do the best job that you can? You know, and then follow that. It's really not that hard. This is not brain surgery we're doing here, launching rockets into the sky. This is, these are human beings, treat them like human beings. And I think it has to do with respect because that's what it all boils down to. We all just want the same thing to live and thrive in, in a happy environment. And what, and maybe somebody needs, I don't know, um, a handrail where I may not need that right now, you know, but as I get older, I can tell you my hips are already screaming at me. So I may need it, but do you know what I mean? It's not hard to give the, to, to make these accommodations. And I yeah, think, yeah. A lot of times these corporations will overcompensate or overcomplicate them. You don't need to make the complicated, the simple complicated. Talk to people, ask how to do it, you know, bring in your leadership team so that you all can be in alignment on how to, you know, make sure these initiatives live and thrive and don't um, die after one effort. Um, but that's what I would do. Yeah, that's the way I would approach it. But you know. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing the, that. Now, now, Kelly, my next question, uh, I, I'm not going to ask you to get political in any, any sense, but I'm, I'm curious because, as you know, in the news right now is the Build Back Better plan for President Biden. And one of the things left out of the bill was paid family leave uh, mm -hmm. for women specifically. So I'm, 
I'm curious, the United States is the only industrialized country that doesn't offer it. So I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on how we level the playing field for women if we're not going to set them up for success in terms of uh, let, letting them be allowed to take, take uh, paid family leave when they need it. I'm just curious to get your uh, thoughts on the debate when it comes to equality for women in the workplace. I mean, that's a huge question. And I think, I don't think it, it stops at the borders of the United States. I think it goes everywhere. You know, I mean, it's, I, I that there's that old saying, women, women hold up half the sky, you know, I mean, we, women are, are miraculous creatures and it's just, um, to me, a lot of these things are old patriarchal beliefs, which Kevin, I'm sure you know this, that the word patriarchy literally means to be ruled by fathers. Um, we don't need fathers anymore. We need champions. We need allies. We need old paradigms to die and new ones to be reborn. We need, um, how do we level the playing field? Get out of our way and let us do our jobs because we do them very well. I mean, yeah, there's a number of women leaders that I could name. I mean, um, Malalam Yousafa, one of my favorites, the, the late, great Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, it's these are all powerful women that if you get out of their way and let them do their work and do the work that they're called to do, I promise you, there's going to be more abundance for everybody. Um if we do that. So to level the playing field, I mean, we shouldn't even be having this conversation about paid leave. It should have been done. We're not in 1950 anymore. We're in 2021. That should have been taken care of years ago, years ago. And the gender wage gap and the class wage gap, that should be level as well for all classes, everybody, regardless of how you manifest in life, if you can do the job, everybody should be paid equally. I don't care. Like they're, it, again, we don't need to make this simple complicated. They do the job, they do it well, pay them, period. I don't care if it's you or me or my husband or, you know, any number of people. You do the job, pay it. And give, give women leave, give parents leave. You know, this is the next generation of people, of humans coming into this world. They need to bond with their parents. This is the, I mean, there's so many studies and so much research about the developmental stages of infants and how important it is. So, I mean, I'm frankly, um, I don't think it's a political issue. I think it's a humanitarian issue. Um, just like many of these things, the vaccine, that should, there's politics does not belong in that. Um, it's, it's about saving humanity, period. And um, it just, it breaks my heart when we get into these unnecessary debates over things that are gonna save people's lives. So that's, that's just sort of my thought without me going off for about an hour on it, Kevin. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you for that passionate Cliff Notes answer for sure, Kelly. I, I think that uh, if we work harder 
on the stuff that we agree on instead of, instead of disagreeing on the stuff that we don't, we would be in a more, much better place. That, but that's just me. So yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. I agree with you because we have a lot more in common than we have different. And I celebrate differences. Understand that, like I love a variety of different people from different backgrounds in my my life. But at the same time, we're human beings. You know, and I think um, a lot of times this rhetoric gets in the way of, of us seeing each other and connecting. Yeah, absolutely. And my final question for you, Kelly, I'm curious for you personally, I, I'm curious if you have any non-negotiables. And what I mean by that is, do you have anything that you're unwilling to compromise on for your own personal happiness? And then just finally, how... Do you want your personal and professional legacy to be defined? Okay. Well, those are two big questions. So non-negotiables. Non-negotiables are um, disrespect has no room in my in my world. I don't I don't disrespect anybody else. I don't expect I expect the same for me. Um, I protect my free time with um, a fierceness that um, is, is new for me, Kevin, because I was frankly burnt out before I took a vacation and I knew I couldn't continue this work without downtime. Um, I Diversity, equity, inclusion is a non-negotiable. About five years ago, I made a promise to myself that I would only partner with or work with strategically um, businesses that were run by women or marginalized groups or minorities, um, which we've done, very happy to say that we've done that. Um, and um, integrity, I will not compromise my integrity for anything. Um, I've had a couple of uh, situations where there have been people who have asked me to do that and I won't do it. I will not compromise my integrity at all. And also, um, you know, when I, when I bring in my team and I work, um, my work works. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't compromise that either. You know, if you make a commitment to this work, you will get results, but you have to do the work. I can't do it for you. So those are some of my non-negotiables. I have a lot more. Um, like time with my family, I don't compromise. Like I will not answer my phone after uh, four o'clock Monday through Friday, and after three thirty, excuse me, Monday through Thursday, and then three thirty on Friday. That's my time with my family, and that's it because that's my time to restore. So I protect that fiercely. And then, what do I want my legacy to be? Um, it's I want the world to be left better than I found it. That's, that's what I want. Um, I want to make sure that I serve and support from a place of servant leadership. Um, and that anybody who comes in contact with me feels like they belong, no matter who they are, or what they do in life. I want them to feel like when they step into my world, there's a warm embrace that goes along with it figuratively and literally. That, that's the legacy I want. Absolutely, that's a, a noteworthy legacy to aspire to for sure. And then finally, finally tell me if people want to get uh, connected with you, what's the best way they can do that, Kelly? 
Sure, they can go to kellymirbot.com. That's uh, K-E-L-L-Y-M-E-E-R-B-O-T-T.com. Or you can email me at kelly at youloudandclear.com. And that's all spelled out. So it's K-E-L-L-Y at youloudandclear.com. And it's like I said, it's all spelled out. Fantastic. Well, Kelly, I, I want to sincerely thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to me about uh, positive corporate culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion, your time, energy, and efforts on my behalf and the work in this space are most appreciated. And I want to thank you for being here this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved getting to know you a little bit and your work and your podcast. It was an honor to talk to you. And there's anything else I can do to serve and support you and your listeners, please let me know. I'm happy to do that.